tonight, I titled the sermon tonight, The Will of My Father in Heaven. And I took that, uh, if you recognize the way that phraseology is, is given, I took that directly from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, so that first question, the answer in that first question, it says, he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. So the will of my Father in heaven is the title. And I'd like to begin tonight reflecting on that with what I think is a really helpful and important passage for framing our thinking about our callings in this world, the Lord's will in our lives, and our responsibilities. So let me read this portion of the Word of God for us, uh, verses 5 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6, the living Word of our living God. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the clarity of your word, the revelation of yourself and of your will that you have given to us in your word. We pray then tonight as we consider this theme that you would help us to think about it very practically with respect to our own lives with uh, the, the vocations that you have given to us uh, and with decisions that are perhaps in front of us, help us to understand well what your will is and to be able to walk boldly and confidently in you who holds everything in your hand. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. I don't mean to be flippant or I don't mean to be too casual with what I'm about to do, but I want us to imagine a scenario here for a moment as we start off tonight. I want us to imagine that Paul is making a visit to Ephesus and a member of the church, when Paul gets there, asks Paul if he could have a little personal time with the apostle. And on this walk, this sincere young man who happens to be, just to follow our text here, who happens to be a slave, asks Paul about his calling. Not Paul's calling, but about his calling. What's his calling in this world? And he says to him something to the effect of, Paul, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I'm stuck in a dead-end job with a ungrateful master and very little prospect for advancement, let alone freedom. I would if I could with respect to my freedom, but it doesn't appear that that's possible. But perhaps if I could just know God's will, I'd pursue it. I'd, I'd perhaps be a, a doctor or a teacher. Maybe, maybe I could be a financial planner 
for people, or maybe even a missionary like you. I do the work I do now because I have to. I really don't have a choice, Paul, about what I'm doing right now. But I really would like to know what my God-given vocation is. What should I really be doing with my life? What's God's will for my life, Paul? I've talked to the elders and the pastors here, but you're the apostle. You're the one who speaks on God's behalf, and I want to hear from you what God's will is for my life so that I can decide what I should do. Can you tell me what it is, and can you tell me how to pursue it? And Paul hears the question, and he replies as follows. Bondservant, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as a people pleaser, but as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. All right, now let's say Paul's got a little bit more time, and he adds an addendum to what he just said. And the addendum, in this case, is going to be drawn from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Response? Yes. Uh, yes, I was a bondservant when I was called. Do not be concerned about it. But, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brother, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So you're this young man, and you've been waiting for Paul, you've heard about the visit, you've been waiting for Paul to get there so that you could process this with him. That's what you hear from him. Okay, that's what he says in response to your question. How do you react to that? How do you respond to what Paul has just told you? Now, I'm going to give it one of two ways, all right? I'm simplifying here. I'm going to give it one of two ways. On the one hand, our sincere young man hearing this from Paul perhaps might be disappointed. He might, in fact, have been looking for something more concrete, more specific about what he should do in this world, how he should spend his time, how he should invest, if you will, whatever free time he has as a slave. On the other hand, perhaps he heard Paul's words with joy and with contentment and in the transformational spirit with which they were intended and realized, oh, wait a minute, I've been thinking about this the wrong way, and I need to recalibrate the way I've been thinking 
and understanding God's work in my life. Paul's counsel, and uh, counsel's too uh, soft of a word, Paul's apostolic commands that we've just read in Corinthians and in Ephesians, his commands to slaves in the Roman Empire regarding the will of God for them, they certainly don't address everything, every question that we might have or every application that we might be seeking as those who live free in the United States, who live in a modern world, in a modern economy, and who are in a modern culture. But I think that there are some important starting points for us here in what Paul says that we'll be able to take from this and kind of use as a foundation to apply in terms of how we process that same question that I just put on the lips of this uh, man in Ephesus. So some quick observations then from this text in particular, the one in Ephesians not only, but in particular this one here from Ephesians as we get started. First observation is this. We see the phrase in verse 6, I tried to emphasize it as I read it for us, but we see the phrase in verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. The will of God from the heart. So when the Bible speaks of the will of God, that's what we're talking about here, when it speaks of the will of God, it does so in two primary ways. And they've kind of got names attached to them, so I'll, I'll use the name. One is God's will of decree, or God's decretive will. And basically what we're saying there is that is what takes place in this world according to the eternal purposes of God. According to God's providential care of this world, his, his will of decree says this is what is going to happen. Now, we've read it recently, but Heidelberg Catechism is a beautiful description of all of the detail that's involved in the eternal decree of God and the decretive will of God. But this is God's secret will. It is not known to us. It is generally known that God in his will, by his power, takes care of everything in this world and all of us. But the particulars of it are unknown to us. And then there is God's moral will. God's moral will is expressed in the scriptures and in the law of God. And it is specifically what God wants us to do. And as such, it is revealed. It's not secret, right? That makes sense. One is what God will do. The other is what God wants us to do. And so if God wants us to do something, then God reveals what it is that he wants us to do. When the Bible speaks then of doing or following or walking or understanding God's will, we are primarily being instructed in this aspect of his will. We're not being instructed in the decretive will of God, the secret will of God. And just the example of it is right in this passage. Okay, so when it says, be doing the will of God from the heart, it doesn't mean figure out the secret plan of God. 
It doesn't, it's not saying to this young man, listen, you've got to really work through this. You've got to figure it out. Does God want you to be a doctor or a lawyer um, or a financial planner? You've got to figure this out. It's not that. He says, I want you to do the will of God from the heart. It means apply the commands of God to the work that is at hand. That essentially to whatever it is that is right in front of you. Now, the classic text for understanding this, and we'll just look at it quickly, is from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Right? So it's, it's very clear. There's, there's some things that aren't revealed to us. Those are the secret things of God. But the things that are revealed are revealed so that we can do them. That's, what God ha that's how God has worked with respect to his will. Secondly, with respect to God's will and our calling, one of the things that we can see, and we can see it in the Ephesians passage, but perhaps particularly in the 1 Corinthians 7 passage that I read for us, is that our present circumstances, our present situation, those are critical for understanding and doing the will of God. With respect to calling, Paul's baseline, Paul's starting point is remain in the situation, in the circumstances, in the condition in which you were called. Now, he doesn't make this the final word, right? This isn't, this isn't the only thing that he says. It's not the calling, the situation in which you find yourself is not exclusively determinative of God's will for your life. Uh, for example, Paul has a different calling than what he was doing before. There's overlap, but it's, it's different. Or the disciples are an example. The, the disciples were in, all engaged in some normal vocation, and Jesus calls them separately. And of course, Paul says in that section there in 1 Corinthians 7, if you can attain your freedom, if you can do it, do so. So he's not looking at the current situation as exclusively determinative, and yet he is saying it's generally constitutive. That generally speaking, if you're asking me, if you're trying to think about your call, your vocation, then look at where you are. Look at what you are doing right now. That's the place where you're going to be able to discern what you are supposed to do in this situation. Number three, what this means is that vocation or calling is not as much about shifting your profession or moving somewhere as it is about a shift, a, a transformation of perspective within your present circumstances. Paul doesn't have a plan to free all slaves from slavery, but he does have a plan to set the slaves free within the slavery. That's, that's what these verses are saying. I have a way for you to be free within the circumstances in which you find yourself, bondservant. Life in Christ changes a dead-end, vain, painful life of servitude into a vocation, a calling. 
within which you can do the will of God. That's Paul's message. And then our fourth observation here, and this kind of brings us back to the first, is that in the Bible, the will of God is not really something to ponder or to figure out. It is, in fact, just something you do. You're not supposed to figure out the will of God. You're supposed to do the will of God. And it's something you do now. And, and it can be spelled out. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 here, it is spelled out clearly what is the will of God. I'm not going to go through it um, right now, but the things that we read. This is the will of God. This is how you are to do the will of God from the heart in the situation in which you find yourself as a bondservant. Or take another classic example. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, and then the verses right after that, we're not going to turn to it right now, the right, verses right after that spell out, this is, what that, this is what I mean by that. This is what your sanctification looks like in those circumstances of your life. And these things are important because perhaps Paul recognized that Christians can get antsy. We can get anxious. We can get fidgety. Think of the disciples with respect to the kingdom of God. What they want to know is, is it now? Is the kingdom coming now? Shall we get the swords ready right now? Christians see this idea of the kingdom of God out there held out for us. We know that the kingdom has come because the king has come. We know that the kingdom is coming and we can get antsy about what we're supposed to do with our lives right now. We can, we can get off course, off kilter in our lives because we're misunderstanding what the will of God is with respect to the things that are set before us and thus it can skew our perspective on the quotidian. Okay? It, it, can, it can make it seem irrelevant. And I think that's what's happening in Thessalonica when when. Paul is addressing those who are busybodies. They're going here and there. They're doing all sorts of things. But they're not doing the normal things of life like working, like, like preparing meals and things like that because they're antsy about their lives. But additionally, modern Christians struggle because we have skewed the biblical teaching on the will of God and calling. We tend to use the phrase will of God when we are thinking of a decision that we are trying to make. So should I buy this house or this car? Should I go to this school or that school? Be in this major or that major? How many children should I have? Whom should I marry? When should I marry? Should I stick it out in my present job or should I change? What career should I choose? In other words, we tend to apply this idea of the will of God and calling to things that are the secret, unknown, not revealed, will of God. We pray, we pray like this, show me your will and I will walk in it. Show me your will, Lord. I just want to know your will with respect to this decision. Have you ever noticed that God is strangely silent when you pray that prayer? He is strangely silent, but it's not strange. If he wanted you to know it, he'd tell it to you. If he wanted to know, oh, by the way, I've got this all written out on this sheet of paper right here that you should 
marry this person, you should go to this school, you should have this major, you should get this job, you should have these many kids. If he wanted you to know that, rest assured he could do it. That wouldn't be hard for him to give each one of us that kind of do this next sheet. But that's not the way he works. That's not what he has set up in his word for us to walk in his will. Now, when you combine all that with the reality that we live in a culture awash in possibilities and opportunities, in this situation, all of us might at times face decision paralysis, right? Decision paralysis. You're standing in front of the aisle in the grocery store and there's, you know, whatever. There's 50 types of cereal that you might decide between. Who knows how many cans of soup? You know, I, I don't often go to the grocery store. That's a true confession. <laughs> but for some reason, I was, I was in a grocery store recently and I was looking for water. Okay, I was looking for a particular type of distilled water. It's unimportant why I was looking for distilled water. But I stood in a water aisle bewildered. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to choose. I didn't know how to discern between the various waters that were in front of me at the moment. I purchased the wrong one. Lauren purchased the right one for me uh, sometime uh, later after that. But Christians and non-Christians alike experience decision paralysis. But for Christians, the problem might actually be worse. I don't know, but it might actually be worse for us because of the way we use the idea of God's will. We get wrapped around the axle because we don't want to decide to do something that is outside of God's perfect will for our lives. And when you say it that way, it kind of makes sense, right? It kind of makes sense to say, well, I want to walk in God's will. I don't want to be disobedient to the will of God. So what do I do in this situation? And since God hasn't revealed it, what are you supposed to do? What, what decision are you supposed to make at that particular point in time? The results of this are completely predictable, right? All kinds of uncertainties arise from this, the paralysis that I have spoken of. Perhaps even things like failing to truly commit to a path that is in front of you because you just don't know if it's really God's will or not. So you're going to take a few steps, but you're going to hesitate a little bit, and you're going to step back, and you're going to ask somebody, do you think this is God's will? Do you think this is God's will uh, for my life? And so you don't fully commit into something because you're just not sure if that's God's will or not. It's very predictable where this goes. As I was preparing to uh, teach this section on calling to the students at Westminster. I was kind of reviewing some of my old books. Now, admittedly, I was particularly focusing there on a pastoral, on a ministerial, a missionary type of call, and I was rereading some things. But then I remembered that I had also heard of a fairly recent book that was written on the will of God by Kevin DeYoung. And so I got hold of a, a, a copy of it. Uh, and so, and I gave it a quick read. I'm going to read you the title of it, okay? This is, this is the book right here, if you've not seen it before. It's called Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will, or, here's the subtitle, How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. I'll read it again. Just do something, a liberating approach to finding God's will, or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. Now, in addition to telling you the title, I have to describe 
the cover to you, okay? The, the cover is just fabulous. Yeah, you, you can't see it. The cover is of, I'll call it a millennial, of a millennial who is sitting in a chair that looks like an old theater chair or something like that. And they're sitting in the chair, he's got his plaid uh, kind of jacket on, he's got a stocking cap on his head. And he's sitting in the chair in a field looking out and there's a forest in front of him. And there are two things, I don't know what they are, but there's two kind of poles on either side. And what you get the impression of is this guy is looking at these two random poles and trying to decide left pole, right pole, right? If you've watched commercials, this is the Twix commercial. You know, left Twix, right Twix. I don't know, they're both delicious. Eat either one of them uh, that you like. But, he, but he's sitting in the chair, not moving, because he just can't figure out what's God's will. Should he go to the pole on the right or go to the pole on the left? And he's waiting for some word from God. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's, it's like you don't even need to read the book, right? That, that's just all you need to do is just see the cover and you go, okay, right, I got it. And it's funny and it's tragic, all at the same time. It's sad because this isn't a game. This is where a lot of us are locked in. A lot of us are locked into this very quandary and have got ourselves all tied up in knots as a result of it. Uh, let me give you a quote uh, that's uh, from, from the book. Here you go. Obsessing over the future is not how God wants us to live because showing us the future is not God's way. His way is to speak to us in the scriptures and transform us by the renewing of our minds. His way is not a crystal ball. His way is wisdom. We should stop looking for God to reveal the future to us and remove all risk from our lives. We should start looking to God, his character and his promises, and thereby have confidence to take risks for his name's sake. God is all-knowing and all-powerful. He has planned out and works out every detail of our lives, the joyous days and the difficult, all for our good. Because we have confidence in God's will of decree, we can radically commit ourselves to his will of desire. I call that the moral will. Without fretting over a hidden will of direction. Are you feeling directionally challenged by this? Don't despair. God promises to be your son and your shield and to carry you and to protect you with his strong right arm so we can stop pleading with God to show us the future and start living and obeying like we are confident that he holds the future. Here's the way I've put it for years because it was put this way to me uh, and here's the way I put it to the seminary students as well. God is not playing a shell game with your life. That's what it feels like, right? It feels like a pea has been put on the table, there's three cups, God has put the cup on one of them, and there's three cups, and he goes like this, and he says, okay, where's the will? Where's my will for your particular life? Pick up the one, and, and, and we get in this mode where we feel like, okay, I've got, I've got to choose one of these, I can't figure out which one the will is under, and... and and you don't know what to do. You think God is playing this game with you. He is not playing a shell game with your life. God has granted to us a freedom and a mind, and he's called us to exercise it and to make decisions with respect to the things we are to do in this world with freedom, with confidence, with risk, with analysis of the things themselves, but to say, go ahead, make that decision about that thing. And then, don't fret it. Example, let's say you want to buy a car and you're looking at two, in this case, used cars. 
and, and you kind of have done your homework, you've compared both of these cars, and you're, you're, you've got one at this dealership and one at this dealership, and you go, what should I do? Should I get this car? Should I get this car? God, what's your will in this car purchase? I want to be faithful. I want to be a good steward. What's your will with respect to the car? So you choose a car. Let's say you choose this car over here. And in six months, the transmission goes up on the car. Here's the question. Did you buy the wrong car? Were you outside the will of God? That's, that's probably a better question. You did buy the wrong car. But the question is, can you have bought the wrong car and be still in the will of God? And that's the, the answer to that question is, yes, you can. Because that's the way the will of God works in this world. It isn't that God planned for you to buy the other car and you made some colossal mistake in your analytics, or you made some colossal moral error, and because this one was a, a, a green car and you really wanted a red car, you liked your, yeah, let your preference for red get the best of you, and you didn't just follow the nudging, the liver shiver, whatever a liver shiver is, um, you didn't follow the liver shiver that would direct you to the green car that God would have had you purchase in this particular moment. That's the way it can feel. God is not playing that shell game with your life. And if you make a decision that I'm going to go to this school and it turns out that it's not the school for you and you figure that out after a year, it's okay. It's still the will of God. It's still the will of God. Maybe the will of God for you to continue to pursue it and work your way through it or to go to another school, it's your choice. God will not tell you, go to this one now, leave now. He will not tell you. Just make the decision. Just make the decision and do the best you can with the decision and trust the overarching will of God. So real quickly then as we conclude, it seems that it would behoove us to give at least a couple of pointers here from Scripture about how do you then discern will of God calling, making a decision. Uh, I wrote these down. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I hadn't read this section of Kevin's book uh, prior to writing them down. I then read more and I went, those are the exact same things. Uh, so I don't know if I was subconsciously uh, drawing what the conclusions were or these are, I think these are just biblical logic. Okay, that's, I, that's all I think these are. Just four steps of biblical logic. We'll do them quickly. First of all, you've got a decision to make. One, consider it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about your circumstances. Does this thing make sense within your circumstances? Does your health allow it? Does your, do your finances allow it? Are you inclined towards it? Do you want to do it? Or do you not want to do it? Is this something that's not good for you? What about your gifts, your talents, your time that exists? Is it something that you would be any good at? If you wouldn't be any good at it, well, just say no. Don't do what that thing is. Don't go, well, maybe God's pushing me to do this thing that I know I won't be very good at because I've not been good at it any time in the past. No, that's not the right answer. The right answer is, if you're no good at that particular thing, don't do that particular thing. Go do some other thing that is there. Got an opportunity to serve. Think about the talents, the time that you have. Can this thing glorify God? Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Consider it. Number two, get counsel. I'm not even going to turn to a passage in Proverbs. You know the passages that are in Proverbs. That getting and listening to advice and counsel 
is a good thing. So get some counsel from other people. Help them to help you process whether this is a good fit for you or not. Number three, pray. Not for a revelation. Not for God to tell you which thing you should do or what you should buy, but for wisdom and for integrity, for good friends to come around you with good solid advice about a particular situation. And number four, make your decision. Do something. Make your decision, do something, stick to it. This is the old counsel. Trust God and do the next thing. Right? That's the, uh, yeah, that's the Elizabeth Elliot counsel. That's the, the, name him. Just go back. That's the counsel from those who are wise. Trust God. Do the next thing. And here's the reality. The reality is that nine times out of ten, the will of God is about doing the next thing, and the next thing is right in front of you. It's not someplace else. It's right in front of you. It's, it's the thing that you're supposed to be doing tomorrow on Monday morning. That's the next thing. What's your, the will of God for your life? It's that you do whatever's on your calendar to do tomorrow morning when you wake up. Doing it in Christ from the heart with excellence unto the Lord. That's Paul's command to slaves and I think to us as well. I know that the hairs of my head are all numbered and that they will fall out only according to the will of my heavenly Father. I don't know their number. I don't know when they will fall out. I do know that I should wash my hair and comb it. <laughs> that's what I know. So that's what I'll do. I don't have to try and count them. I don't have to try and figure out when are they going to fall out. I'll just wash my hair and comb my hair. I can trust God with what belongs to him and do what he has given me to do. Lord, help us to apply this, whatever, whatever we're facing, uh, whatever's in front of us. We pray that you would help us to be wise as we approach these things. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that Paul gives this apostolic command to us to understand the calling and to, to understand that, that that which you have set before us is the calling that we have, regardless of how mundane the particular activity or the particular work might be. It can be done out of the heart, a sincere heart, and for your glory. Help us to understand that and to pursue what is in front of us with that spirit. Lord, keep us from getting wrapped around the axle of indecision and of guessing and of waiting for you to reveal that which you have told us in our lives and the way you've created us, the way you've redeemed us, that you're delighted to see us exercising faithful risk, reasonable considerations of things, good counsel from friends. Lord, our desire is to honor you and all the things that we do. Enable us to do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our hymn of response is 108. Whate'er my God ordains is right.